Matthew chapter 16 is the portion of Scripture that we read as part of our worship. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 28. And the text will be verse 24. We will be making reference to the context here, so pay close attention to the whole passage as we read this. Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, way up in the north, north of Galilee, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So far we read, God's holy and infallible word. The text is verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, 
If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? I ask the question with that particular language because I think it's very striking how Jesus himself words it here at the beginning of the text. Jesus doesn't say, if a man is coming after me, then let him deny himself. Jesus doesn't say, if any man is my disciple. And so to parallel that language, I'm not asking the question, are you a disciple of Jesus? The issue in the text is this, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? That's the language Jesus uses. If any man wishes to come after me, if any man wants to be my disciple, if any man will, and the word will there means if any man desires, if he has the desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And the language there, let him deny himself, that's an imperative. Jesus is saying this, if any man desires to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the language. And that's striking because of two things. First, the language emphasizes that to be a disciple of Jesus involves a deliberate choice. It involves intentionality. It involves a desire. It involves actually wanting to be his disciple. And second, the language emphasizes that this is a non-negotiable requirement. This is a demand of Jesus. It's one of those cases where the two things go together. If you want to be my disciple, this is the requirement. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. So the question is, do you want, do you want, in your heart, do you want to be the disciple of Jesus? Well, this evening we had two young men who stood up in front of the congregation and in front of the world and said, yes, I do. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. But if that's true, then there's this inseparable reality. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And every day of my life, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be with Him. I want to serve Him. I want to honor my Jesus. That's what these men have said. And now for the preaching this evening, we take an opportunity to look at what the requirement is for those who want to be Jesus' disciples. In previous sermons in this series, we've looked at how a person becomes a disciple. We've already looked at that. We've also looked at how a disciple is one who confesses Christ before men. And now in the preaching tonight, we focus on the calling or the demand to take up our cross. Now there's more we could focus on tonight. The verses that come after, verses 25 through 28, um, gives us the rationale, you might say, the, the reason it makes sense to follow Jesus, and there's great encouragement in those verses. But tonight, we're really just going to focus on verse 24 
and appreciate that idea of taking up our cross. So that's the theme for tonight, taking up our crosses. We'll look at three things. First, the non-negotiable requirement. Second, the twofold manner. And then third, the great encouragement. If any man desires to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So the question we first want to treat is this, what does that mean to take up your cross? Well, let's start with this question. What is our cross? It's interesting that when the New Testament makes reference to a cross, in the very first references, the reference is not actually to the cross of Jesus, but it's to our crosses, the crosses of His disciples. We actually read the passage two weeks ago when we also had the occasion of confession of faith. Matthew 10, when Jesus is sending out his disciples to preach to the lost house of Israel and he starts talking about discipleship, he makes reference for the first time to a cross. But it's not his own cross, but the cross that his disciples have to bear. Matthew 10, verse 38, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. And what's interesting is that Jesus teaches that to his disciples before he even teaches them about his own suffering and his own death in Jerusalem. So let's, let's get that straight. Before Jesus makes mention of his own cross, he speaks of how his disciples will have to bear their crosses. And so the point that I want to simply draw out here is this. This is an expression that was already in existence before Jesus' own death on his cross. This is language Jesus is using before his own cross comes into the picture, you might say. In fact, in the gospel accounts, it appears that Jesus uses this expression on no less than four different occasions before he himself is nailed to the cross. And what that teaches us is that this was a kind of saying in Jesus' day. A disciple of Jesus is one who has to take up his cross. A second thing to point out is this. It's very clear from the text and from how this phrase is used elsewhere that unbelievers don't have crosses to bear. Cross-bearing is an activity peculiar, specific to the disciples of Jesus. Unbelievers, those who are not disciples of Jesus, do not have crosses to bear. That's important to note and appreciate because there's that common expression today that says that everyone has his cross to bear, right? Everyone has a cross to bear, but that's simply not true. Unbelievers do not have crosses, not according to how Jesus is using this expression and how we need to understand the expression tonight. Yes, the wicked have many sorrows, they may have many trials, but these sorrows they bear do not fall under this category of taking up your cross and bearing it. A third thing to point out is this. This expression does not even refer to all the sufferings that believers, that you and I might experience in our earthly sojourn. For example, when we make our lives painful because of certain foolish decisions and and then we have to bear the consequences, that's not necessarily the activity of taking up our cross. Because the fact is, unbelievers have those same experiences. It's not necessarily bearing a cross. 
Merely the reality of having cancer or having a disease or a sickness or experiencing poverty or loneliness or a tough work environment. Those sufferings, when the Christian experiences those sufferings, those sufferings themselves are not necessarily the Christian's activity of carrying his cross. After all, unbelievers also experience cancer and poverty in a hard work environment. What we need to understand is that with this language, Jesus is referring to a very specific type of suffering which a Christian experiences, a a type of suffering that is exclusive to the sorrows and struggles of a disciple of Jesus. Now, to go further to understand the meaning of this language, let's delve into the symbolism Jesus is using, the, the figure here, what it actually means to bear a cross. Children, do you know what it means to carry a cross? Literally, to carry a cross. I can imagine, children, that if you lived in Jesus' day, you would have seen a person here and there carrying a, little, a, a literal cross. It was quite common in Jesus' day to see someone carrying a cross because this is how the Roman government put criminals to death. For murderers, for thieves and notorious criminals, this is what the Roman government did. They would crucify their criminals. It would be like the electric chair today or whatever else. They would kill the criminals publicly in the sight of all passers-by so that everyone would get the message. They would tremble and they would learn the consequences of breaking the law of the Romans. But then what the Roman government also did was this. They made the criminal himself carry his own cross. He had to carry his own cross from the judgment seat out to the place of execution. And so when you saw a person walking through the street or walking along the side of the road carrying his cross, you knew what that person was doing. You knew what it meant. That person was dying. That person was dying. That's the meaning. From this point of view, we should understand that when Jesus was condemned to death and what happened in that experience, that was not a strange thing, right? There is Jesus tried before Pontius Pilate. He's condemned as a common criminal. Heavy wooden cross is placed on his shoulders. He's forced to take up his cross and walk outside the city of Jerusalem to the place of execution. He was dying And when Jesus uses this language for his disciples before his own cross even gets into the picture, and he tells them, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross, this is what Jesus is getting at. The point is, the cross is a symbol of death. The cross uh, was an instrument of death. To take up your cross is to take up the experience of dying. It is to take up the experience of suffering shame, humiliation, rejection, reproach, hatred. That's what happened when a criminal took up his cross. It was a shameful thing. It was a humiliating thing. The people would spit on him, mock him, vilify him. One who takes up his cross is one who has been declared unfit to live. He's a criminal. And what Jesus is saying with this expression is this. If you want to follow Jesus... This is what is required of you. You take up the experience of dying. 
If any man wants to follow me, let him take up the experience of dying. He must take up the experience of dying. And for Jesus, what that means is this. Let him take up the experience of dying to the world, dying to the flesh, dying to his old sinful nature, dying to sin, dying to himself. If any man wants to follow me, he must take up this experience of continually dying and being led to death. That's his life. And that's in harmony with how this figure is used in other passages in the New Testament. In Galatians 5, verse 24, the Apostle Paul borrows this same imagery when he writes, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. They have nailed the flesh to the, their own flesh themselves. They've nailed to the cross with the affections and lusts. They've put the flesh to death. In the next chapter, Galatians 6, verse 14, the Apostle Paul again invokes this same in imagery when he writes, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I unto the world. I died to the world, and the world has died to me. For one more passage in Romans 6, verse 6, the Apostle Paul uses this language. He writes, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So this imagery is common in Scripture. And what Jesus is simply saying is, you can't be a Christian and live a life of sin and a life of self-seeking and self-indulgence. You can't have both. You can't have a little earthly kingdom here below pursuing your life here, your own glory, your own interests, your own will, your own comfort, and at the same time have eternal life. You can't have these two lives. To put it differently, you can't avoid this. You can't avoid this experience of dying to self and still be my disciple. He goes on in the next verse to explain what he's talking about. Verse 25 really explains it. For whosoever will save his life, his earthly life, right? Make it comfortable. His little kingdom here below. Whosoever will save his life, shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. If you want to come after Jesus, you need to lose your life. You need to give it up. Pick up your cross, just like Jesus picked up his cross, and you need to die. Die to self, die to sin, die to this world. Your life is going to be the experience of losing your life. Here, beloved, is where the context also comes in very powerfully. We need to notice the context here because it's, it's reinforcing this whole idea. We read earlier in the Scripture reading, Jesus asks His disciples, whom do men say that I am? Right? And you know the answer. And then Jesus asks, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter responds with that very beautiful answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's a beautiful answer. But what Jesus knows is this. Although Peter's confession is right, and it's a beautiful confession, Peter himself doesn't yet understand the implications of that confession. 
Peter may be able to confess who Jesus is, but Peter doesn't understand what that actually means for Jesus to be the Christ. And, and what it means for those who are following him as the Christ. And what Jesus does in the passage is go on to tell Peter, and he goes on and tells the other disciples, look, you say that I am the Christ, and that's right, but let's get this straight. That doesn't mean earthly glory for me. That doesn't mean for me sitting on a beautiful throne in Jerusalem, robed in royal apparel, being waited on by thousands of servants. No, what it actually means is this. Suffering. Suffering. I must suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. It means I need to bear a cross. I need to go through this whole experience of dying. And for Jesus, it doesn't just mean dying the physical death, but as we know, actually bearing the full payment for all the sins of his people, dying the death of hell. And then Peter rises, well, he doesn't, we don't say, doesn't say he rises, but Peter responds and says, not so, Lord. This kind of thing will never happen to you. After all, you are the Christ. And Jesus responds by saying, Peter, this will happen to me. It will. And Peter, what you need to realize is this. It will also be the experience of all my disciples, my true disciples. Peter, you've got the wrong vision of what my kingdom is like. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom, a kingdom of earthly glory. Or to use the language of Martin Luther, my theology is not a theology of glory. My theology is a theology of the cross. Suffering and shame and dying, I need to bear my cross. And all true disciples of me who want to follow me will also have to bear their cross. But to be sure, they don't have to bear the cross that atones for their sins. In that sense, Jesus' cross is entirely unique. But it does mean this. Bear their cross in the sense of experiencing the suffering, the rejection, and hatred, and repudiation of this world, and of the devil, and the rejection and hatred even of their old man of sin that dwells within them. That's the cross Jesus bore. Not not saying he had a sinful nature, not exactly that, but that experience of dying. That's the cross his disciples must bear. That's what Jesus is teaching Peter. So what does it mean to take up your cross? It means this, to endure suffering, death, dying to self because of your association with Jesus. It means to endure all trials and sufferings that come as a result of your adherence to the person and the teachings of Jesus, the Christ, and because of your attachment to Him. Fighting cancer as such, as such, is not carrying your cross. Being poor as such, is not carrying your cross. But fighting the old man of sin as you're battling cancer, learning that experience of of living as a pilgrim and stranger on the earth as you battle that cancer, right? That's carrying your cross. Fighting against your old man of sin as you battle poverty and and you struggle then with those, those lusts of the flesh, and bitterness and resentment, whatever it may be, that's carrying your cross. Bearing the reproach of your co-workers because you love Jesus, 
And you're not afraid to own up to what Jesus teaches. That's carrying your cross. Losing your life to Jesus. Not pursuing what your flesh would want you to do with your life here below, but pursuing what you know Jesus is calling you to do right here in this moment. That's carrying your cross. Maybe having a sword divide your family so that your family is divided because only half of you or some of you are committed to following Jesus Christ and the other half isn't. And you feel the pain and the heartache because of that reality. That's carrying your cross. That's carrying your cross. All kinds of examples. And this is an intentional activity. Jesus says he must take up his cross. That means intentionality. You, you bend over, you reach down, you grab that huge beam, you place it on your soldiers, on your shoulders, and you start walking. You willingly deliberately take up your cross. You recognize this is the piece of wood that has been assigned to me for my shoulder to bear. And you pick it up and you follow him. As Luke adds in the parallel passage in Luke 9, this is also a daily activity. A daily activity of dying to yourself to live unto Jesus. And really in the text, what Jesus is referencing what he's talking about here is a procession. Think of a procession. Or children, if you don't know the word procession, maybe think of a, almost a parade, if that's a good word. What Jesus is saying is this, if anyone wants to follow me, let him get in line. Jesus says there's a procession here, a procession of crossbearers, a procession of people walking and they're headed outside the camp to their deaths. Having been condemned by the world, the world sentences them to death. And now they are walking in a procession outside the camp to their death. Jesus is in front. And anyone who would come after him, anyone who would follow him, must also bear his cross or her cross. And that's how they come after him. They follow him. As Jesus says elsewhere, the servant is not greater than his master. It is enough that the servant be like his master. That's discipleship, beloved. Being molded and molded more and more after the image of Jesus so that, so that you actually look like Jesus. Even as he looked in his interactions with the world, so, so that becomes a parallel reality in our lives. He carried his cross, we carry our crosses. So what does that mean? Well, at the risk of repeating myself, let me say it again. It means dying to self, dying to this world, dying to sin because of my association with Jesus, losing my earthly life, losing an earthly kingdom here below. The question is, are you willing to be known as a follower of Jesus? Do you want to be his disciple? Are you willing to be known as his disciple? Are you willing to be that weird person on campus who isn't like the ungodly around you? And it's a reality, isn't it? Are you willing to suffer the loss of your job because the commandments of your Lord, your master, are more precious to you 
than money and the earthly comforts it can provide. You know, for new converts, these things are sometimes more painful than what we can realize. We, we who grew up in the church and in, in a believing family. Family members who hate you, who, who, who want to maybe even kill you, or at least destroy your reputation. Maybe experiencing the loss of a job that you've worked 10 years to get to, and now you no longer can do it because you've been converted and you want to be the disciple of Jesus. You want to follow Jesus, and this is what Jesus the Christ says for you in your circumstances in life right now. Losing all your high school friends. Because although in high school you gladly walked in sin, things have since changed. You've changed. Because you want to follow Jesus now. And it means giving up the wicked sins that your worldly friends still love to pursue because they don't want to be disciples of Jesus. You lose yourself. You lose the earthly life maybe you had envisioned for yourself when you were younger because you're experiencing how your heart is more and more captured by a love for Jesus. And so those things have to be dropped and and shedded. You're actually living a life that maybe you wouldn't really wish upon another person. Not, Not from an earthly perspective, at least. But you're living that life striving to live it faithfully because you know this is not my life to do with as I want. My life belongs to my Lord. It is His to do with as He sees fit. I am only going to follow Him. That's taking up your cross. This is a fundamental element of discipleship. Jesus says elsewhere in Luke 14 verse 27, Very strong language in that whole section. He says, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, this is not just for the heroes of faith, beloved. This is a basic, non-negotiable requirement for all would-be disciples. Would-be, want-to-be disciples. Jesus doesn't know any other Christianity than this Christianity. If a man will not carry his cross... He is not fit to be a Christian. And how many people actually turned back away from Jesus when they heard this kind of language? There's all kinds of opportunity for church growth. And Jesus says this is the non-negotiable requirement, a basic fundamental element if you want to follow me. Well, the question comes, how do we do this? Maybe we touched on this a little bit already, but now I want to shift and treat some of that other language in the passage. What's the manner, that twofold manner, in which we are to carry our cross? Well, first Jesus says, let him deny himself. And there you have that language of self. I deny myself. What is the self? Well, here the meaning is first, I deny my sinful flesh, right? My old man. But the meaning is also this, I learn to say more and more, not my will, but thy will, not my ambitions, not my plans for how I would serve Jesus. The focus isn't on me, the focus is on Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. And that's not just something ministers say, that's something that a disciple of Jesus says, and he says it every day. 
I notice that it doesn't say deny yourself some things. Deny some things for yourself, right? The ungodly do that all the time. They deny themselves sleep. They deny themselves family time, all sorts of memories they could be making. But why are they doing it? All, it's all in the end to get what they're pursuing, to get what they want. Whether it's money or comfort or fame or honor, whatever it may be, they deny themselves something. The text doesn't say that. The text says, deny yourself. To borrow the language of Herman Huxima, quote, it's the very opposite of maintaining yourself. It's the willingness and readiness to become nothing. Not to insist on one's name and honor, on one's right and position, on one's means and possessions. No, not even on one's very life. It is the readiness to lose all things for Christ's sake. To have oneself wholly set aside, pushed out of sight, trampled underfoot. End quote. Maybe to help us appreciate the idea, think of this. Think of how Peter denied Jesus, right? You know the story very well. Peter, with cursing and swearing, says three times over and over, very strongly, I know not the man. He denied Jesus. Beloved, think about this. It's the exact same word used here in the text. To deny yourself is to say to yourself exactly what Jesus said about, or what Peter said about Jesus. To say about yourself, I know not the man. I only know this, the goodness, the greatness, the worthiness of Jehovah my God and Jesus my Savior. He is my life. As John Calvin put it, I offer my life, my heart to Thee, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. It's Yours, Lord. It's yours. This is not something we can do by ourselves. This is the very opposite of what we do by nature. Right? By nature, all I pursue is myself. Isn't that explain, what explains my, my hot temper? My, my bitter spirit? My resentful attitude? Right? Because, because that's what happens when I'm living for self and things get in the way of it. But as a Christian... As one who has the Holy Spirit, I, out of the Holy Spirit, give that up. It's not about me anymore. I have a new conviction. I have a new devotion. My heart belongs to God. My heart belongs to Christ. I follow His will and I pursue His commands. I die to self to live unto Him. That's self-denial. That's discipleship. Well, That's the first part. Then second, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Follow me. And that, you might say, is the other side of the coin. I deny myself, I follow Jesus. And what that means is this. I don't dictate the way. Right? I'm not out there in front blazing that path for my life. No, I I rather confess this. I don't know the way. And I don't determine the way. I trust Jesus. He's my Lord. Doesn't it follow? Doesn't this make sense when when you consider how we trust Him for other things? 
right? I trust Jesus for my perfect righteous standing before God. I trust alone in the righteousness of Jesus, don't I? He's the one who blotted out all my sins. He's the one who satisfied God's justice. I believe that and I trust Him for that. That, That's even what makes Him my Lord. He purchased me. And now here too, when it comes to my actual living, my spiritual walk, when it comes to this new life that I have in Jesus Christ, I trust Him. He remains the teacher. I remain the student. He is the master. I'm the one who needs to learn. And you think, isn't that exactly where Peter went wrong in this whole back and forth between him and Jesus? Jesus says, I'm going to suffer many things and be killed. And Peter stands up and starts rebuking Jesus. Can you imagine? Peter rebuking God. God in the flesh. And Peter evidently is motivated by love for Jesus, right? He loves Jesus, but, but his mind is way too earthly-minded. And part of what Peter forgot is this. Jesus is the teacher, not Peter. And Peter starts telling Jesus what Jesus should be doing with his life, and it's all backwards. It's all wrong. No, Peter, you don't tell Jesus how it's going to be. You follow him. Peter, you're still too proud. You still need to learn this lesson. He's going to learn it. It's going to take bitter tears and weeping. He's he's going to learn it. But Peter, Jesus knows the way. Jesus knows the way. Just follow Peter. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. What a word for us, beloved, isn't it? I don't know how you need to hear this word this evening, but this past week and and even tonight, this this is a word that that I need to be showered with too. It's a good word, isn't it? It, It's true, it's right, and it's, it's what I need to hear. But at the same time, it's also a hard word, isn't it? No one, no one naturally wants to go through the experience of dying, right? When Jesus was being led outside of Jerusalem on Good Friday, and he was carrying his cross, what do you see? Well, you see some people weeping, right? The daughters of Jerusalem weeping for him. Maybe you see other people mocking him. But as you see Jesus carrying his cross, I don't think there was anyone in that crowd that Friday morning saying, oh, I wish I could be him. Or, or I wish that I was right behind him carrying my cross to Golgotha. Losing your life is hard. At the Haven Conference just over a week ago, that was really the last question in the question and answer session. The question was basically this, how can we encourage people who are basically losing their lives in, in a very acute and, and very real tangible way? They, they didn't pick this life for themselves, but, but these are the circumstances Jesus has put them in, and Jesus says, now follow me. How, how can we encourage people who are going through that kind of experience? This is real for every disciple, right? No matter what your circumstances are. This is real for husbands and wives who are learning to lose their lives in their own marriages to live as Jesus is calling them to live. This is real for fathers and mothers losing their lives to live in their homes, 
raising their children the way Jesus is calling them to raise their children. They are losing themselves. This is real for consistory members. Losing their evenings, losing a year or two or three of their lives, serving difficult, in difficult circumstances. This is true for children, taking care of older parents, right? A season of life where, where you are acutely experiencing this giving up your life to do what God is calling you to do. This is real for everyone. There are some things I mentioned in the congregational prayer. All kinds of things. You have your own calling. You have your own cross as a disciple of Jesus to bear. And it's hard. What's the encouragement? Well, we could go on in the following verses and glean the encouragement that Jesus gives there. Jesus promises. This is a sure and steadfast promise. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. He will make it a reality. He he who loses his life for Jesus' sake shall find it. He will know what it really means to live. To live with purpose. To live your life without wasting it. You will experience what proper living is actually about. That satisfaction in your heart that comes from doing what you know the Lord is pleased with. What is right in His eyes. That's one thing. We could expand on that. There's certainly more we could say. The encouragement is also this. You're following Jesus, right? The one whom your heart wants to be with. You're following him. That's the encouragement. You are with Jesus. You're following Jesus, the one who loves you, the one whom to know is life eternal, the one who laid down his life for you. The encouragement is also this, as you follow Jesus, Jesus is not only the one walking before you in the procession, but wonderfully, he's also the one walking right beside you. He's the one who's been there, he's been in front, he knows the grace you need to carry your cross, and he's also the one right at your side who's giving you what you need, and, and if you really have your eyes open... Then you come to experience that he's not just right beside you, but he's actually the one carrying you as you're carrying your cross, following him. And the encouragement is this. Jesus teaches us to look ahead. The promise of glory. That's what he does in these last verses of chapter 16. But I want to quote for you what Jesus says in Luke 18. A few verses from Luke 18. Jesus says this, Verily, truly, I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Again, whosoever shall lose his life for Jesus' sake, the same will find it. Jesus will see to it. And then we need to remember our time here on earth is short. It's not worthy to be compared to that glory that lies before us 
in heaven. That's a word of encouragement. Keep carrying your cross, beloved. Keep carrying, keep carrying your cross, young men. And for a final word of encouragement, let me say this. There may be some here this evening who currently are not following Jesus. Maybe there are even some here or, or others who are being contacted by the elders because the elders are concerned about your discipleship. Maybe there are signs of you living for yourself, right? You become irritable, easily angered, self-focused. I want to issue to you the call. Come to this place that Jesus is calling you to come to. Come to this place of repudiating yourself, repudiating your wisdom, repudiating your prosperity, repudiating your advance, your comfort. I, I always think of what Jeremiah said to Baruch, his servant. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Come to this place, this place of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. Whosoever will save his life will lose it. will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Believe it, beloved. Believe it. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank Thee for this word. It is good. It sets our hearts aright, and we rejoice in that, and we are thankful for it. And we thank Thee that this was a word for Peter and the disciples, too, whom we so highly esteem, but they needed it, too, in this last year of Jesus' life. And we thank Thee that in that company, we can also say we need it, too. Bless this preaching to our hearts and to our lives. Bless these young men and all of us who have taken up these vows. Strengthen us in it and cause us to know and enjoy what it is to find our life in Jesus. In His name alone we pray, amen.